Welcome to Finding My Yum, a sex-positive podcast celebrating all forms of sexual expression. Each week, we bring on a new guest to share their journey. We talk honestly and openly about what they're into and what sex, kinks, love, and more look like in the real world. I'm Jerry Courtney Austin. And I'm Will Lentz. And we are your hosts. And today we are joined by Chris to talk about pup play, uh, fetish play, and also uh, non-monogamy and polyamory within marriage, uh, which is super exciting. And I was delighted to have him on. It was such a fun conversation. I definitely learned like so many different things. There's so many fetishes that I just don't know, which is awesome. <laughs> it's really know? fun. I, uh, I think i knew about some of it because i think we have some friends that are into some of the things um it is always fun to hear on air when you're like wait a second i didn't know this can you tell me more about x y and z um and some of that happens in this and it's it's very interesting yeah yeah it's super fun that's that's like my favorite part of having you know guests from all walks of life on and just being like wait what are you into or like what what does this mean to you or how do you approach this like it's just it's so fun um but before we get into that I am super excited to talk to you Will about dating because you just got back on online the online hemisphere I did yeah so when I came back to Kentucky I took a kind of a big break from it um because I was like I don't really want to necessarily date in Kentucky and I'm not trying to date in LA when I when I'm not out there but um I I can see in the distance my return to LA so I've started kind of looking around in Los Angeles again for for dates and uh started to do some of the virtual dating again and one of the things that I think has been really interesting to me on the topic of what we're talking about today is that it seems increasingly common to run into people that are into non-monogamy or polyamory like Previously, I had noticed that I'd say maybe one in 10 profiles. Now it feels like five in 10 or like whenever wow. I ma- maybe it's just my type. I don't know. But when I match <laughs> with people, I go check it out and they're like, I'm you know open to this or this or I'm in a polyamorous relationship. And it just seems like it's becoming much more common, uh, which is interesting, especially during COVID. I guess I don't know. People are just like, I am so confined. I want to see what else is out there. I don't know. But yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I wonder if it is due to COVID. So are you saying that these are sites that you've been on before and where you could have checked the option of non-monogamy or polyamory, it wasn't checked and so now it is checked? Or is this something that like, because I've been on Bumble like, you know, a long time ago and Tinder and stuff and you can, you know, you can put, you write your own bio. But this right. is different because it's like a questionnaire. Yeah. So I'm specifically talking about OkCupid. Okay um, oh, 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 right. And it lists what you're looking for there and, and it, it, whether you're open to X, Y, and Z or that kind of stuff. And so that it, it is like a checkbox effectively. Okay. And um, and yeah, I've seen seen more of that. But I have seen uh, other updates to like Tinder and stuff that, you know, might say like, what are you looking for? I've seen like they've made updates into like what gender do you identify as and things like that. So in general, I think the scene is getting more progressive, but also the people yeah. that are in it seem to be getting more progressive. So uh, it's been interesting to, to kind of see. That's so fascinating because I also wonder, you know, I think everybody has a different comfort level and boundaries when it comes to non-monogamy, polyamory, like whatever that means to have an open relationship. And I love it because I think monogamy is sort of confusing in a lot of ways too because yes. because it I and we've talked about this before but but a lot of it is just kind of like silent. Like you're just like, okay, well, we're monogamous. And and I am way overgeneralizing. I, in my particular experience, it was just kind of like, okay, well, this monogamy just means you don't see any other people. But it's not, 
clear on like okay well do you flirt with other people do you think about other people do you engage with them online you know whatever like what mm-hmm. are what are those boundaries and what does what does infidelity mean to you um yes and so i think that this fosters a conversation about boundaries in a way that i didn't experience when i was on online apps and stuff like that yeah i think what you said there the infidelity thing is the thing that kind of opened me up to everything it was like cheating means to some people cheating means this to some people it means like watching porn some people it means making out with somebody sometimes it means like having sex with other people and you know for me it's always been like i don't exactly know if i'm going to ultimately end up in a monogamous or non-monogamous polyamorous whatever type of relationship but my view has always been like just because like the same way that infidelity can mean different things for different relationships you know i don't know what shape my ultimate relationship will be if there even is one so so why not be open to seeing what's out there and seeing what works for me in the time so uh so yeah i'm it's cool to see that and also like I'm like all right well I can start this conversation now like with these type of people and see you know how has it been working for them and it's yeah. been really interesting yeah um I love that I'm 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 super excited for your for your updates and to hear how things how things progress uh, yeah. well thank you for sharing can't wait to hear more updates on that uh but without further ado we're super excited to bring this episode to you Woohoo! here we go Yay! Welcome to Finding My Yum. I'm so excited. Today we have Chris. Um, He is a sex-positive kinkster living in San Francisco. Uh, I was connected through Instagram with you, which is super exciting. And today we're going to talk about, well, your your whole history is fascinating, but then also we're going to get to some juicy stuff about uh, leather, leather, fetishes, pop stuff, and everything in between. So thank you so much for being here. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, well, I'd love to start. I know you have a, a, an interesting upbringing. And so, yeah, I'd love to start with where are you from? Yeah. So I originally grew up in Spokane, Washington. It's a conservative side of Washington state. Uh, my parents were Southern and extremely religious. So my dad okay. was a was actually a Pentecostal preacher. And uh, so I grew up in a very conservative environment in general. And uh, it was through sort of interacting with my experiences with Pentecostal evangelicalism and and a very sort of strict religious background that uh, I discovered a number of things that didn't really fit with with my experience with the world. And one of them was my sexual orientation. So Mm. uh, I discovered pretty early on that my tastes were broader than was considered appropriate in that community. I had attractions to both men and women And that was a really big struggle for me overall. Eventually, when I got into college, I decided to sort of dismantle my my preconceived notions about sexuality and start over. Got it. And so just to clarify for uh, a Jew over here, what does Pentecostal specifically mean in terms of the Christianity scope? Sure. Pentecostal is basically that brand of Christianity that you see on TV that seems uh, it's very extreme. So there's a lot of things like faith healing, speaking in tongues, casting out demons. Basically, we did everything but handle snakes. Oh, got it. I re- have you seen the um, the the pastor who did a video saying that he was going to blow away coronavirus and there's yeah. Is that, that sounds like, familiar. 
yeah. like that's immediately what I think of. He's like, I banished you, and then he just like blows, and it's it's yeah, it's quite I, priceless. <laughs> I have I have been to those events in the past. Yes. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, so that's an intense environment. So then, in terms of you were saying that you know you had a broader idea of what your interests were sexually what was the landscape that your upbringing and maybe even your school had outlined for you that didn't quite seem to to jive like what I mean I have an idea of what the what the stereotypical sort of Christian ideal is but I'm not sure if it's like even more extreme with yeah so this this community in general was very conservative with how they approached with sex and relationships. My parents were a little bit more open because they came from a non-religious background and then became religious later. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. But uh, my experience, what like the background that I was in, was very much like very formal courtship style relationships that were almost like supervised. And so it oh, wasn't wow. like there was no leave room for Jesus, right? Yeah, leave room for Jesus. No sex before marriage. Okay. Uh, there's there's that understanding, and I was well engrossed into that. But I struggled a lot with the idea of same sex attraction. Mm. Uh, in a lot of Christian doctrine, there's the idea that thinking about something is as bad as committing the sin itself. Mm -hmm. So I really struggled with the, the fact that my sex drive drove me to think sinful thoughts, and it caused a lot of distress. That really. I had to let go at some point instead of clinging to this idea that I was damaged or defective in some way to really just embrace something that was a little bit kinder to myself. Yeah, I I love I, I love the language that you're that you're using around that because I God, we all need a little bit more kindness, especially in our own thought patterns, right? About how we conceive of ourselves. Um so what what was the did you have sex education at all or was it just abstinence based or was there any anatomical or anything else other than just like don't have sex? My parents were pretty open, but they did definitely believe in the idea that like sex was extremely special and sacred and something that you should reserve for somebody that you're planning to get married to. Uh, so they were, they were more cautious about that for sure. But my parents were actually pretty open uh, despite okay. being uh very very religious they were also very open to discussing these things overall it was the sort of unfamiliar aspects that came up later in my life such as um you know the the relationships that i had with other men my approach to like open and or polyamorous relationships that i had uh the structure that my marriage took which was very unconventional yeah uh, and yeah so it was it was just we were very open with discussing these things with each other. I, so I had a really great relationship with my parents, That's but amazing. the, it was definitely challenging for them <laughs> to discover sure. that I took a very different approach than I was raised. Totally. Um, and so then this dismantling that you talked about in college, what, what did that process look like um, in order to sort of get into the groove of where you are now? Sure. So um, I so throughout college, at the end of high school and throughout college, I was actually dating my high school girlfriend. Um, we were always best friends. It was really, really great. Uh, but I knew that despite us having this really great connection, that we, we loved each other, we had really great sex, and uh, we were really great friends, there was something that was unfulfilled in, in the experiences that I wanted to collect. So eventually when we got engaged, in college, I was explicitly open about my sexual orientation and oh, wow. the fact that 
even you know when we get married we didn't have an idea of what form it would take but that at some point i was going to want to explore my sexuality outside of our relationship and so we had that on kind of a back burner to think about for later so um was your are you guys divorced now yes yeah we've been divorced for about three years now okay so is your ex-wife religious or was she religious at that time she was raised catholic so yes and her family was pretty religious as well so we were both came from pretty religious families but we're both kind of rebellious in that way uh so we're both willing to sort of explore things on our own terms and i guess the question i would ask then is if these desires came up to explore why marriage then like why was that the choice that you made at the time i think that's kind of all we knew we were raised Mm -hmm. in that environment where basically there was a a standard progression with how things go you start dating you get engaged you get married Uh, and at the beginning of our relationship we were considering like oh yeah we're gonna have four kids like in each of our families and we're gonna uh and it just came through our relationship organically that we had other things that we wanted to try and explore and eventually that led to us discovering that what we originally thought we wanted or had together didn't really connect with what we wanted in the future. So that's the reason why we separated. Ah, got it. And so what was that process then of embarking on a more traditional type relationship with this idea that, you know, there's something else you'd like to try. There's other aspects of, you know, sexual interaction and play and exploration that you'd like to have. What was that transition in conversation to then get to a more open polyamorous sort of relationship? Yeah. So we had discussed on a number of occasions that like what would that kind of connection look like we were very vehement about the idea of open and uh, about open communication and transparency okay so the the scenario in our head that kind of made sense was the gay friend that we both know that we're both comfortable with that i can connect with on a sexual level Mm. and uh sort of explore that it originally we had thought like, oh, this will be like a one-time thing. I'll explore it. It'll be fine. Turns out that's not really how sexuality works. Uh, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so, yeah. and I discovered through my sort of branching out to this other thing uh, with men was so much more exciting and fulfilling than I had originally thought. Mm. And that perspective of how powerful and how powerful it felt to sort of embody my full sexuality was something that I wanted my wife to have the freedom to explore as well. So uh, she eventually reached out and started exploring her relationship with other men. And uh, it's not to say that there weren't challenges and negotiations and, and insecurities that were involved, but it's just like a different color of any relationship where there's always those sort of difficulties that you have to get through. Yeah, I guess uh, my question is also then, you know, I've had on a lot of people who've had, uh, who are in ethical, you know, non-monogamous relationships, polyamorous relationships. Um, my partner and I identify as non-monogamous as well. And and so I'm wondering what is, what was that process for you um, to explore on your own and then also to reckon with your partner exploring on their own, you know, outside of this sort of traditional um, marriage and, and type of union, which is 
you know, even for me, growing up Jewish, but that didn't really have a bearing. But like growing up, like under the Disney spell, like you know, it's very it was it's it was very outside of my realm of like conception until relatively recently. So navigating it has been very interesting. Yeah, I think that most of our idea about non-monogamy and exploration really came out of my sexuality originally. <laughs> Mm. Where and then it was through my experiences about how it felt to both connect with other people and to experience what it's like to have that sort of new relationship energy and that intensity with other sorts of other people yeah. that it became something that I realized how how much it benefited me and how much it was improving both my self image and my confidence and my approach to basically everything in my life. Sure, it just became a discussion about okay, this has to be something that we can both explore. And that was challenging at the beginning because my wife uh, predominantly identified as straight. So mm -hmm. while for me, fooling around with men, there wasn't that one-on-one -on -one competition comparison. Right. For her, exploring with other people felt, it felt a little weird. It was difficult, right. especially because the first couple of guys that she picked to explore with uh, were very intimidating. There were these guys who were extremely... Um, oh. They were very attractive. Uh, the basically the very first guy that she decided to hook up with had like a, a nine inch cock and was oh, uh, like okay. very very impressive in a lot of ways. <laughs> so it. it was it was a little it was a little disarming, a little um, sure. But I eventually got over that through because we both brought that energy home, and I think that's yeah. the reason why it was so exciting is because the excitement that we had with others would immediately become like story time at home. We would bring that excitement back together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the coolest things about open relationships, you know, non-monogamous relationships is that it really does enhance if if you allow it and if it's something that's working, it can really enhance the the pair that is, you know, the the main pair or or, or the main union. Um did you guys was it polyamory like were you having emotional connections with other people that's my understanding of polyamory and and if yours differs please let me know I, I know that sometimes that's uh like pigeonholing it a little bit but what was it more sexual or did it develop into like a, a more emotional connections with others outside of the the marriage it eventually it, it started very off uh it started off as a just open situation where there was an understanding that emotions weren't supposed to like we were dedicated to each other that, that we weren't going to be cultivating relationships okay. with each other at least not in a dating context yeah it was a couple years in that uh actually my wife ended up connecting with somebody and and approached me about the idea of polyamory which is more of a you know developing these more prolonged romantic relationships with other people mm -hmm. and frankly it was something that i was less attracted to and and felt pretty threatened by in the mm. beginning and it took a while for me to warm up I was much more comfortable in this open space okay. so there was a, a lot of negotiations eventually I did end up uh, getting uh, a boyfriend later towards the oh, end okay. of our relationship but uh, I think that my dynamic and my interaction with polyamory especially in the midwest where we were at the time was was very different okay. Yeah. Where were you in the Midwest? We were in Kansas City. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. Um, yeah. And so 
we don't have to linger on this too long, but I, I do think it's interesting to discuss sort of that, those conversations that go inside of our head when our partner does something that kind of, that does threaten like that inner narrative or like what came up for you that you ended up, you know, moving through. Because I think that those become those really defining moments that help us in all aspects of life of like unpacking all of this um sort of like baggage that we're holding on to or, or conceptions of like how things are supposed to be from what in my head that's what it looks like you can tell me how it looks for you <laughs> yeah so I think we always had an understanding that relationship envy is a spectrum and that's the reason mm -hmm. why we were comfortable with non-monogamy because in a in a traditional monogamous relationship there's a sort of protective envy of or protect you know jealousy uh, let yeah. me let me clarify it's like there's a protective nature and exclusivity involved where mm -hmm. the behavior of others towards your partner will make you feel insecure or betrayed where there's like a full spectrum of you know people that might be attracted to your partner talking to them it makes you feel very jealous and we consider that to be you know unhealthy in in our conventional yeah. in our conventional society and then it goes to a, a more moderate realm we would just push that a little further to where it's like sexual relationships with others and beyond that are like romantic relationships with others. So there is, regardless of the relationship that you're having, there's always that discussion that right. takes place about the level of comfort that you have with openness. And I don't think there's any correct answer. Sure. I think it, it revolves around compatibility with each other. And for you, like that specific conversation, because I feel it seems like that's one of the biggest things you've highlighted where that was a moment of, oh, this is outside of my comfort zone. Um, what was that conversation? And, and do you feel like it enhanced something moving forward as you worked through that that aspect? Yeah, I definitely like I gave it a chance and I, I explored this this polyamorous context and attempted to approach it with an open mind and, and feel how I approached it. And frankly, through my experience with it, that was one of the main reasons why we decided not to continue our relationship is simply oh, okay. because she became very uh, attached and uh, very much enjoyed this kind of connection with her boyfriend and, and that whole group because it was basically like a commune where her boyfriend had a wife and, and multiple other partners. It was oh. like this big group. And I didn't really identify with that approach and it just didn't relate to me culturally as much. Interesting. So okay. we, we decided that because we had very different ideas about what we wanted long-term and what we really wanted out of our partnership, that it was best for us to continue on our own journeys. Awesome. Uh, yeah, that's so interesting. And so what is it that you decided that you wanted in instead of that, or, or not instead, but you know, for yourself? Yeah. So I, uh, at the end of our relationship, I was actually finishing up grad school as well. I was figuring out where I wanted to go next. And I decided to really branch out and try something new uh, and move to San Francisco to start a job uh, in the tech space and also to, you know, move to, well, I'm, you know, a single guy who likes other men. So where else to go than San Francisco? <laughs> yeah, uh, totally. And I just, was giving it more openness to to go there. So I discovered through my my first boyfriend, which I had in the polyamorous relationship, that I actually did enjoy like an open relationship, but something that was a little bit less 
a little bit less open than like a polyamorous relationship. Sure. So that was my general idea of what I was looking for. Since I've come to San Francisco, I've been a lot more open to a variety of experiences and just sort of letting things come as they may rather than looking for a specific thing. And that's been serving me pretty well here. Yeah, um, I love that. And so how do you identify now? So I identify as a bisexual gay man, which sounds really strange. And it's something that uh, I latched onto when I heard a, uh, a, a woman in, uh, that I was talking to who identified as a bisexual lesbian. Oh, and this cool. simply is because there's a lot of culture and community and context that comes with those words, gay and lesbian. Mm -hmm. And so because I predominantly interact in the gay space, I enjoy gay culture, most of my friends are gay, um, and I predominantly, almost exclusively hook up with other men simply because I understand them better. I think, I'm, <laughs> I think sure. I'm not, I think I'm like most men in that I don't understand women. <laughs> so, totally, yeah. Uh, so I still sexually am attracted to both men and women, but predominantly I find myself squarely in the gay space. I love that. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's such a, a fun way of looking at it and and it, it makes so much sense like not that you have to explain it at all but but I love the the culture around the queer and the gay community it, it is so specific and it's 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 so fun and, and amazing um and so then let's transition into talking a little bit about um kinks and fetishes and how how you got into um the leather space which I'd love for you to um Define leather because off mic we were talking and I was like, oh, I have no idea what this term means apparently. Yeah, so leather, while it is literally a material, it's, you know, tan cowhide that's made into other things. Yeah. There's a community and a culture called the leather community, which originally started in the, the like 1950s, the mid 20th century based around motorcycle culture. Um, which was, you know, gay men predominantly meeting in confined spaces in areas where they could be free and less discriminated against. Mm -hmm. And it has a lot of fetish connotations to it. Um, and there's what is often called like old guard leather, which is a community of dominance and submissives. Oftentimes okay. there's like um, a master and a slave or a daddy and a boy. There's very, like very distinct power dynamics involved there. Sure. I would say that today... The leather community is actually a lot more open and and inclusive in a lot of ways. It's less restrictive. It's a lot more open to a variety of expressions, hmm. um, including like non-gender conforming and, and queer expression as well. But that's definitely not uniform. Each community is a little bit different. And I think that a lot of that is colored by my experience in San Francisco, which is an sure. extremely open city. Sure, sure. And so that has been your experience of the the leather community there, that it's more progressive, which obviously, yeah, totally makes sense for San Francisco. And so then how did you find yourself in in the leather community and, and what particularly do you like to explore within that within that category? So I originally was introduced to leather. Uh, in Kansas City, when I was uh, doing some go-go dancing gigs, there oh, were, cool. there. so one of the standard sort of fashion items that you see at a lot of gay parties are body harnesses. Right. So mm -hmm. there are a variety of leather things that are strapped around, and it was really intriguing to me. But at the time, I was 
you know, in graduate school and was dancing on side gigs. I had no money and leather's really expensive. Yep. So it was something that I didn't really get a chance to fully explore or, or much at all. And it was only when I moved to San Francisco and got my first postgraduate job where I was making, you know, a significant amount of money that I was able to sort of branch out and see what I would enjoy. So mm -hmm. I originally went to a store here in San Francisco called Mr. S. It's a purveyor of fetish and leather goods, predominantly geared towards gay men, but not exclusively. Yeah. And I went there for a pair of suspenders because I thought they were cool. And um, I'm obsessed it, with suspenders. They're so <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I got there and it was like a candy shop of a bunch of different things. And the great thing about this store in particular is they are 100% welcoming and they want you to try everything on. So oh, it's like, cool. go here, try things on, see what fits, see what feels good. So I did. I just went there. I didn't know anyone in the city. I didn't have much to do. So I would be there on a regular cadence trying things on. And it turns out awesome. that there were a number of things there that I tried on and I really enjoyed that I didn't originally think I would be interested in at all just because I had an open mind. And yeah. I think that probably the most distinctive of that was the leather pup gear that was there. And what is leather pup gear? Absolutely. So there's a, a subsection of the uh, fetish and or leather community that is called uh, leather pups. So these are people that identify or, or express themselves in a non-human way. This can okay. occur in a sexual or non-sexual context. Generally, it can involve um, a variety of gear involved. So like leashes, collars, masks that make you appear to be more canine. Some people really embrace this metaphor and go full on play with dog toys, drink out of dog bowls. Other people take it as more of a dominance and submissive thing. Uh, I personally approach it as a, an exhibitionist expression where I can disconnect from the very, you know, cerebral expressions and talking to people and just be there, be a dog, let people pet me. And it's great. It's, I enjoy it a lot. Um, okay. I have so many questions. This is very exciting. <laughs> uh, okay. So is it just dogs for one? Is it just like a canine focus? I'm sure there are other animals that you can play with, but is this for you particularly just canine? For me, it is just canine, but okay. the original, this, this is actually under a broader field of fetish, uh, which is called pet play which originally started, I believe, in like the 1960s or so with pony play. So these are like stallions and mares, but there's trainers involved. That, I believe, is the original community. And later on, there became to be a, a larger community around pup play. This really took off in popularity in the late 90s and earlier 2000s. So it's something that wasn't really all that popular, but then became this very explosive, very represented community in the fetish space because it's more accessible, it's more open, it's much more attractive to younger people because it's a little bit more joyous, it's a little bit more silly, which is not historically a part of leather culture at all. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, and then do you... Is, are there particular types of of dogs? Like, is it is it like a breed thing? Like, do you get that specific for you personally? Is that something that's exciting, or is it, it is it not as specific as that? 
Some people do. Some people have an attachment to a specific breed. They might get a mask made to match that or identify with the temperament of a specific breed. I'm a little bit more general than that. There are certain sort of dogs that I had growing up or, or experiences that I had that really connect with what the way I want to act in that, in that space. So when I'm in pup space or uh, in my gear or going out, I predominantly end identify as, you know, a very friendly kind of dumb lump of a dog, but I'm just there. I like everyone. I'm like, I'm not really a big fan of, of running around wrestling or playing with toys. I kind of just want to like lay there or lean against people and get pet. And when you say pet, you mean like physically just like stroked by other people? Oh, abs- yeah. Physically yeah. stroked. Uh, and one of the, one of the things about me physically is I'm actually a, a very hairy individual. So <laughs> nice. like okay. ha- being, uh, having a lot of skin showing, especially here in San Francisco where that's quite popular. A lot of mm-hmm. people are, are very attracted to just coming up and petting my chest or, or my shoulders or my arms as a, a way of like saying hi. And the, the way people interact with uh, a pup is very much like a dog where you're like, oh, hi, hi puppy. And you'll, you'll pet them and say hi. And they just sort of go about their, their merry way. Um, my partner is super hairy too. And I, I just love it. I like bury my face in his chest all the time. It's like, it's so delightful. Um, so in terms of like the exhibitionist, so is this something that you also enjoy in terms of like sexual acts or is it more the social aspect that is fun for you? Um, yeah. I would say it's both. So it oh. de- really depends upon the context. I really approach kink in terms of individual connections and mm. or scenes, which is often what they're called. It's like a given scene or a right. context. So for each thing, it may not be a sexual thing at all. Sometimes I'm just going to the, the leather bar here in San Francisco, wearing my pup gear as a way to disconnect and get some like open and free you know, intimacy where people will just like physically contact. Uh, but other times it is very uh, sexual or expressive in that way. One of my sort of open fetishes that I haven't gotten a chance to explore yet is to go to one of the, the big fetish fairs here in San Francisco where mm-hmm. they block up a bunch of city blocks and be someone's dog for the day where it's just like me and my hood, boots and a leash and that's it. Where it. they decide um, where I'm their dog they treat me as such. They are the one that provides consent for me. And uh, I just disconnect for the day. So that is like sort of the, the realms of it. I've also explored it a bit in a private context where there's more of a, a training aspect or, or that. Oh, cool. I do find that a little bit less. I mean, it depends. Sometimes I do find that exciting. But I think that my actual sex life in a closed space, I, I tend not to be... Uh, I tend not to want to be restricted in any way. So I'm like, take off the hood, take off the leash. This is too much. Got it. Interesting. So would you be interested in um, like a lifestyle? Because I, you know, you can be a dom and sub in lifestyle. And so I imagine, like you were saying, if you go to a fetish fair, you could, you know, walk around and, and have a leash and, and have like a, you know, your owner or whatever. Um being sort of the dom for the day. And so is that something that you've explored this idea of a more lifestyle approach to this particular, you know, facet of your expression? 
I think that I am not a lifestyle fetish person. Okay. And, and the reason that is, is because I'm, I have very broad interests where I, I'm bisexual, I'm switch. So I like being both dominant and submissive. Got it. I, so, and when it comes to actual relationships, I'm a bit more conventional with, with how I want to have that dynamic with a partnership. But um, so I, I tend to not prefer a continuous and distinct power dynamic in those relationships. I do know people that do live that lifestyle where that's what they want to prefer and, and pursue. But for me, most of this kink stuff and my, my pup exploration is what I would call like a very exciting, I'm a very excited, avid hobbyist with this stuff. <laughs> okay, got it. Um, and, and I'm curious because the idea is like people come and, you know, pet you and, and treat you like a, like a pup, right? And so where, where does consent come into that? And is that a part of the conversation? Um, you know, in, in my head, it feels like it could potentially be an issue, but, but I'm curious if that is something that's come up for you. Yeah, it definitely can be. Um, in the kink space in general, there's an understanding that, consent is usually very, very explicit in terms right. of scenes. And this simply has to do with in the king space, there's an understanding that what you're into is not necessarily what everyone else is going to be into. So there has totally. to be that conversation. Mm -hmm. However, when it comes to pup stuff, there's a, it's a little bit more open or nonverbal. So if, if I'm at the bar in my pup stuff with not a lot of clothing, there's generally an understanding that I'm comfortable with, with being approached and being pet. Most people will still ask and uh, I'll nod. Um, so people still do okay. know, approach and ask, which I do really appreciate. Um, and there are certain contexts where consent is more explicit, uh, such as, you know, if I am with a trainer for the day, if I'm with somebody mm -hmm. that is there to be there, I like, you, I expect to be treated much like you would treat someone's dog, where you don't just approach someone's dog and pet them without asking. Right, and right, right. That's sort of the dynamic that you have there. It's like, you approach the dog, you're like, oh, hi, and you you make sure that they're okay with it. So it's the same kind of consent you would have with a, a biological dog. Uh, yeah, I get that's Yeah, that's so fun. Um, so I'm also curious, because of your upbringing and because of coming from a more, you know, religious background, ha has there been any conflict, like inner conflict along the way of this exploration and finding something that you enjoy um, in contrast to sort of the, you know, the conservative mindset of where you came from and, and potentially what your, you know, your family is still following to this day. So I discovered when I was actually in college, I came to this, this point where the, the cognitive dissonance, the conflict between what I was experiencing and feeling and what I grew up with came to be too much of a strain and too much of a stress mm -hmm. where I decided to pretty much fundamentally build my worldview back up from, from the basics. So while there were some cultural elements of my upbringing, um, there's a lot of Southern courtesy and other things that my, my parents were Southern and there were a lot of aspects of that culture that I really appreciated, but I let things sort of come as they may and decided which things I were gonna let into my life and which things I was going to discard. So while there are some reservations that I have at times when it comes to kink exploration, predominantly that has to do with how people will perceive me or mm -hmm. what that might potentially do to 
my career if something were to become very visible. Um, and that's just my individual sort of comfort level. But I would say that religious thinking is something that I have sort of discarded a, a while ago. And, and that's also the reason why I went to grad school to become a scientist. Yeah. Got it. No, that's awesome. I mean, you know, not that I feel like everybody has to discard religion, but I, I no, think, of course not. I think the idea of really critically thinking about how it impacts your life, what what are the things that you want to take with you, what are the things that work for you, like we we would all benefit in this country so much from people taking ownership over those aspects of 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 their own autonomy and their selves, and like you know. And letting other people also having their own opinions and, and letting them explore in that way. Um, yeah. And I, I thought very clearly of the idea that, um, and this is through conversa a lot of conversations that I had with my dad, who was a preacher, about the mm -hmm. idea that, you know what, if this is real, if there's, you know, really God out there and he's looking out for me and he's watching out for me, then it'll be clear. At some point in my life, this will be something that will be immediately obvious because, you know, if I'm... Uh, if I'm immediately created and well understood by this being out there, then he'll reach out to me. He'll make it clear. It won't be ambiguous. Sure. So that idea is something that I've always been open to, you know, continuous experience and understanding things. I'm fairly confident that's not the direction I'm going to go into the future. But that was something that, you know, I want to keep an open mind about anything. I'm I'm very critical and I, I do stick to it. I do stick to a fairly distinct rationalist worldview, but mm -hmm. I am open to to new experiences. I love that. Are there any other um, parts within the leather community within the kink community that that you've kind of grabbed onto that you've enjoyed as much as the pup exploration? Uh, there are a few. Uh, I do. I, I have explored some some bondage, some rope bondage stuff where uh, I will either be usually it's I'll, I'll be tied up because yeah. I'm, I like I like that aspect of the performative nature of it. I have explored some of the group sexual contexts mm -hmm. that are um, generally they're more sexual parties that are not yeah. necessarily fetish, sure. um, but there are other sorts of fetishes that I've explored, such as you know sexual hypnosis or Wait, or what? toy play. Yeah, <laughs> so there there are it. yeah so there are both friends of mine that I've known, and there's a whole community based on hypnosis and sexual play. So it's a combination of you know deep um, hypnosis exploration with a uh, either implanting sexual memories or or triggers in somebody so they will uh, follow a certain commands or to explore a certain headspace. Um, it's something that I found really interesting. I'm not certain how much I believe in its power beyond suggestion, but it was certainly fun. Okay, so just like walk me through this because now my brain is reeling <laughs> on what on what this actually means. So you know, when I think of hypnosis, it's it's supposed to get you into this state, right? That's like sort of quasi consciousness where you are susceptible to other things. So is that the idea is to like achieve this space and then sort of almost play in my head what I'm conceiving is like almost like a dom sub relationship where you're then following commands of the person who is hypnotizing you is that sort of it yeah so my experience it actually does overlap with my experience with pup play and oh. it was it was an experience I had with somebody where 
we went through a hypnotic exercise, which is a period of about over 30 minutes of repeated verbal sort of stimulus. It was calm. And, and once I was into a trance state, they made suggestions about my approach to, you know, being a pup, being submissive and, and all of these things. And eventually brought me out of that to then continue into a sexual context where they were like, okay, wow. pup, now you get to, now you get to be my pup. Uh, I think that my experience with that was more like meditative or a very dedicated form of role play. I don't know if I, if I think that, you know, I was programmed to be a dog. Sure. I think it was mostly about letting go of any external thoughts that I had at the time and being 100% focused and dedicated to that specific scene. Yeah, there's something about it that sounds like the ultimate. It's so it feels very intimate to me and like creating that connection and then creating like this crazy presence with the moment, which like, I, you know, I my experience with BDSM and, and bondage is is it immediately gets me into that moment if my brain is trailing at all. Right. Like there's like a visceral aspect of it. And and so this is such an interesting way. It's almost like tantra or something you know like that deep connection with somebody else in this in this framework that i i've never heard of before so that's very cool yeah and i would 100 percent agree i was going to say that it's, it's a lot like tantric sex as well yeah um most fetish play is less intimate than that yeah. but not necessarily yeah awesome well before we wrap up I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about how this exploration getting to this point like how do you think that's influenced how you are as a person out in the world today i think that my exploration to sex relationships and kink has really exposed me to the idea of being really confident in your individual identity letting go of the the fear that somebody else will judge you immediately because mm -hmm. The idea that like I don't do that, I think that's a really strong value to give people a fair chance to to open your mind and letting go of the fear that other people are going to do that to me has been a really powerful experience. And I think that it's also helped me to both explore and understand my own preferences, but also my own prejudices where you really begin to understand what are the things that I don't like or I think because I'm not familiar with them or mm -hmm. I haven't thought about them. And so it's, it's really opened my mind outside of, of sex to even things like, you know, race issues or, or gender identity. A lot of these other things that I had, you know, preconceived notions about, I, it's just having this open mind through my kink exploration has been, has been, I think the most valuable piece that I've gotten out of this. I, I absolutely love that and um, I echo the same sentiment. There is this overwhelming, you know, the, the actual, the name for this podcast comes from the phrase, don't yuck someone else's yum. Um, and that really resonates, right? Of like, it might not be the thing that you're into, but like how cool that somebody's into it and that it gets them going in whatever way, in, in whatever context. It doesn't even have to be sexual, right? Um yeah, but this like wide acceptance and dismantling of those components in ourselves that get triggered and bring up, you know, whatever, like whether there's fear or whatever behind them, it allows for more communication internally about that stuff. And there's also the confidence to understand where your own boundaries are. 
Yes. There's also that idea of you don't need to be completely open to what everyone else wants. Mm-hmm. Kink is should be about like everyone involved should feel fulfilled by by the experience that's there. So that idea of not only should you be open to new experiences, you should have the confidence to turn those down as well. So the confidence that comes with understanding yourself and having resolve so experiencing things being open to them but then understanding what's not for you and and where mm-hmm. where you separate from other people so there's there's a very it's just such a cool way to explore both the world but also yourself yeah oh, i love that um you've been so lovely this has been such an enjoyable conversation where can people find you um if they want to know more connect with you Absolutely. So you can feel free to reach out, reach out to me uh, via my Instagram, which is fuzzy underscore lone underscore woof. Uh, <laughs> I'm not terribly active in posting pictures these days, but feel free to shoot me a message if you want to chat. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much, Chris, for coming on. I'm so appreciative and it was so lovely getting to chat with you. Thank you, Jerry. It was really great chatting with you today. Yay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank, so thanks, fun. Chris. Yeah, Thanks. thank you so much, Chris. Oh my gosh, that was such a blast. <laughs> and honestly, I like I love his energy. He's like enthusiastic and fun and charming and it's just oh like my God. he's fun to listen to. So upbeat and so fun to talk to. Yeah, it was such a it was such a fun conversation. I'm so grateful for to you, Chris, for coming on. Um, as always, please follow us at Finding My Yum Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We post behind the scenes and clips and uh, be part of our community. We're always interested in, you know, DMs that give us suggestions for guests. I've uh, Most of my guests now have been from suggestions. So uh, we love to hear those and we love to chat with you. Yeah, and you can email us if you prefer to use email at findingmyyum at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, if you have a friend that seems to be uh, maybe into leather or or pup play or things like that or Or just in general or (laughs) hypnosis or just, you know, sex in general or love or relationships, uh, share it with them. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're always looking to expand our community and I love I love new listeners because it's it's fun getting to hear what people think and we have so many different episodes so we're excited. We're excited to bring you new content every Thursday. So we'll see you next week. Stay yummy. Woohoo!